Welcome back to Book Talk. I'm Lindsay Friel. Today, I will be interviewing author Joseph Lewis, who has an illustrious career in teaching, coaching, counseling, and administrating, and now writing. To this date, Lewis has written nine novels, all within the thriller, crime, mystery realm. The first one being Taking Lives, which was released in 2014, and most recently, Fan Mail, which was released this past spring. He also has an inspirational blog on his website, jrlewisauthor.com. Welcome, Joseph. So happy to have you here today. Hey, thank you for having me, Lindsay Apergine. You're very welcome. I will say, as someone who loves reading thrillers and crimes, I'm very eager just to pick your brain about this whole world of yours. So getting right into it, I'm very curious, how has your career changed and transformed into being an author, you know, within your whole career and also just in these past four years? Was it always a dream of yours to write novels or did it kind of just happen? Honestly, it, it just kind of happened. Um, I had a phenomenal sixth grade teacher, uh, Sister Joseph Marie. Um, it, was a, it was a parochial school. And what she used to do is have a, a little four by 10, four by seven note card. And she would put three or four paragraphs on the note card. She called them story starters. And the idea was that if we were done with the test or done with our seat work or we were we finished everything that we could finish. Um, she, we could go up to her desk, take one of the story starters, and then complete the story that she started on the note card. We didn't get credit for it, but she gave f- fabulous feedback. Um, it wasn't until about 1987 that I had a short story published. Um, I took some screenwriting courses, uh, some creative writing courses, and then it, I, I'm not exactly sure what inspired me. But I wrote a book called Stolen Lives. And that's actually the first book of the trilogy and the second one that was published. But it's actually the first one that I had written. And I had an agent and she was trying to peddle it um, to different publishers and things like that. We kept striking out. It would say some some great things. She would say, um, they would say that uh, the writing is very strong. Um, They pictured it. Um, they said it was just too dark at that time. Well, this is, what, 2013, 10, mm-hmm. 12. And then I asked my agent permission to try to peddle it on my own. So I, I contacted a, a very small publisher, probably two steps up from self-publishing. And I sent, it, sent the manuscript, the query, and all that good stuff to them. And then I got a phone call from the, from the head of the publishing company almost drove off the road because I answered out of my car. I'm sure. And she said, "We, <laughs> yeah, uh, my my daughter was sitting next to me. She's jumping up and down in the seat. Um, and it, the, what Natasha said is, we really like Stolen Lives. We want to publish it, but. And I thought, okay, here come the rewrites. But it wasn't that at all. The first question she said was, can you write it in a series? And I said, yeah, that's absolutely absolutely doable. Because at the end of Stolen Lives, there were six bad guys that got away. Oh. Secondly, when you bring missing kids home, and that's what the series is about, mm-hmm. uh, missing children. When you bring these kids back home to safety, what is their life going to be like after all of the things that they were forced to do? Okay. Uh, some, uh, one character that I have is 22 months. Another character was over two years. And so um, that was in really uh, book two. Book three 
was trying to uh, wrap up all the loose ends. And the other but that she said is, can you write a prequel that would introduce the reader to the series? I said, yes, I can do that. So I wrote Taking Lives. Um, it, I placed it two years before Stolen Lives. And it introduces the reader to uh, four main characters that are throughout my entire my uh, entire series of books. Mm-hmm. And um, that, was, that came out in uh, the summer of 2014. Um, in the fall of 2014, that's when Stolen Lives came out. And being a real idiot, about the writing process and the publishing process, you know, I'm I'm still learning. But back then, I was almost hopelessly dumb. My agent contacted me and said, "Do you realize how well you're doing with these two books?" And I said, "No. What do you mean?" She said, "Joe, Taking Lives is number three, wow. and and Stolen Lives is number four on Amazon." And I'm thinking, "Wow, how did that?" possibly happen mm-hmm. um but it, it just it they just took off and that's been kind of the story um kind of going along dumbly blindly mm-hmm. and with the help of my publisher uh, black rose yeah. it kind of guided me and i really appreciate it wow that's quite the story and look at you now you're you're doing well for yourself so that says something um all right so you've re- been fun yeah, good. Uh, you released fan mail in March of 2023. I'm curious, how is this novel different from your other suspense thr- thriller novels of the past? And then what inspired this difference and or what inspired the novel as a whole? Um, fan lives is is really very different uh, from the other uh, eight books that I've written. It's, a, it's told through uh, Brian's eyes. Uh, in Blaze In, Blaze Out, and in Betrayed, Brian has grown immensely as a character. Um, he's become a, a reader's favorite. He's become one of my favorites, actually. Um, but it's told through his eyes. And I've always been fascinated with how celebrities handle the spotlight, how they handle fan mail and even hate mail. Because as a writer, I get emails too that people love me and all that good stuff, which is great. But I also get emails saying, you know, your book is trash. And <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yep. Um, everything, it all happens. But um, in in fan mail, two of the brothers and one of their best friends has a band and it's become kind of a local favorite. And they start getting these, these letters and boys being boys, I guess, kids being kids, um, they kind of ignore the letters for the most part. Well, the letters turn very dark, very threatening. In fact, one of the letters contains an unknown substance. So now the cops are involved. Mm-hmm. There's a car bombing that may or may not be involved with the letters. We're not sure. Um, and so there's so much stress and strain on my fictional family, the Evans family of seven adopted brothers, that the, their dad, the adopted dad, has a heart attack. And the kids start turning on each other. And Brian takes it upon himself, despite all of the stuff that's happening to him, he takes it upon himself to try to hold this family together. Um, Because in his mind, family is ultimate. Loyalty and integrity is ultimate. And it's really his story. And it 
it takes some very interesting turns um, and it leaves people um, there are, there's some sadness in it, but there's also some hope because I think in whenever there's family, whenever there's love, there's always hope. Sure. And while we don't have lives that are have Disney endings, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, the knight in shining armor and things like that, there is enough goodness in this world that we can tap into and move forward. And that's always been my philosophy with my writing. Yeah. I love that. Um, so you kind of touched on this way. So, so you use reoccurring characters in your novels. So I'm intrigued by first what inspired yes. you to do this. And then how does this affect the relationship that you see between readers and these characters, these fictional characters? Um, they've grown um, both the readers yep. and the, the uh, characters. And, you know, I like my favorite readers and I will probably talk about this a little bit later on, but my favorite authors, David Baldacci, James Patterson, uh, Michael Conley, sure. um, those guys have recurring characters. You have the Harry Bosch character in the Michael Conley novels. You have Alex Cross and James Patterson, and you have John Fuller in um, the Baldacci novels. And as a reader who gravitates to that genre, I like to follow the characters and see how they grow and how they develop and what comes next in this in the writer's mind. And I've just adopted that with my my books. Great. Um, so kind of coming back from a reader's perspective of these thriller novels, I've always been very intrigued by the creative process in writing one of these. So I guess looking at it, do you kind of start with a climax, like the big moment of the book, or do you have the resolution in your head before you start writing? Kind of like, where does your mind go when you're thinking of writing a new one? Where do you start kind of with this process? That's a great question. The way I've answered it in the past is still accurate, I think, in that I have an idea. Mm -hmm. I have a question in my mind that I want to explore. I might not know what the ending is going to be until about halfway through. Um, The the only one that I can truly say that I knew the ending is going to be fan mail. I knew that about a quarter of the ways through the book. I knew how it was going to end, who was going to be in the end, Mm -hmm. and even the words that were going to be spoken at the end. I ended up writing the last three chapters way before they were due. Mm. And I just wrote the rest of the book to meet those three chapters. Mm-hmm. I tweaked them. Sure. I um, kind of fixed them a little bit. But that's kind of the way I write, basically. I don't necessarily know uh, what the ending is going to be, except for that one book. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know what the characters are going to do. And I know that sounds silly to, mm-hmm. to some people because the characters come from me. But when I sit down to write, and I try to write about an hour, hour and a half, two hours a day, Mm. um, I always will read the chapter before. Like when I get ready to write today, I will read last night's chapter. I see. And it does two things for me. The first thing, I can do minor edits. I can tweak it. I can adjust it. I might take out a whole scene. I might uh, readapt things like that. The other thing that it does, and this is more important to me, is that it puts me in the mind for what I want to write today. And I go from there. So that's, that has always been my method. The other thing that's kind of unique to me, uh, there, you picture a writer often in a quiet 
room with no noise and it's very solitary. I don't write that way. I sit at the kitchen table, the TV's on, the mm-hmm. dogs are running around the house. My wife will be talking to me here and there. Sure. Uh, when the girls were here and going to high school and things before they uh, grew up to adulthood, um, I would be helping with homework just as I was writing because I'm one that really likes noise. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is when I'm writing a scene that I have to get just right or I'm editing and I want to make sure that I don't miss anything, then I will go off in a solitary moment, solitary place, mm-hmm. right that way. Very interesting. And another thing I've noticed from reading thrillers is sometimes I get to the end and it's such like a, oh, I got you moment where like, I'm like, I had no idea that was coming. Do you have that in mind? Like, do you want to have that? Do you want your readers to feel that? Or you kind of want them to be like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, how do you want your readers to interpret your big endings? Um, That's a great question. Each, you know, I'm looking at the books I haven't stacked up here right next to me. And, um, I can tell you that in, in the book Trade, mm-hmm. the opening chapter, the very opening was actually originally one of the last chapters, almost the last chapter. Oh, wow. But I didn't like the way it began. So what I did is when I was editing and fixing, I took that chapter and moved it to the very front because it, it is I want to grab that reader by the throat and say, you need to read this. Sure. And yeah. it, that has... It's probably been my favorite opening of all the books that I have. Very cool. Um, so I guess what is your favorite and least favorite part about writing in your thriller genre? And I'm also curious, did you, when you got into writing, did you always like, were you like, I'm going to write thrillers and that's it? Or do you see yourself kind of evolving past that? Or this is like, this is your world and you love it. Um, I've thought about that a lot. Um, First of all, my favorite book to read is the thriller mystery suspense. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I think that's why I gravitated to writing in that genre. Um, What sets me apart, I think, from many, when you say the word thriller in that genre, you have legal thriller, you have espionage, you have the cop drama, the crime drama, the medical drama, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. What sets me apart, I think, from many writers is I have a strong coming of age thread mm-hmm. throughout all my books. And it, because I think it's my, my background is education and it, it's now year 48 that I'm in education, which is a lot. Um, but what, because I know kids and have been around kids and I can kind of think ahead of time what they're going to do and say and things like that. It just became normal for me mm-hmm. to include them as some of the main characters in my book. Sure. The only time that I deviated from that was in Blaze Out, Blaze In and Blaze Out, because I have three cops that have been in each of my books all the way through. What I wanted to do in that particular book is explore their home life, their mm-hmm. family. Um, the the essence behind that that book is. Two cops, one cop testifies uh, in, a, in, in court and it helps put away this crime lord. They thought the guilty verdict was the end, but it was only the beginning. Yep. And they did not realize it, that this guy was going to hire some people to go after them, to shut them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it becomes them 
finding out that they're being hunted. And then they have to protect those around them because revenge doesn't worry about collateral damage. It wants what it wants, when it wants. And so um, that book featured the three cops. But in the other books, they really, while they're there and they have to have the crime solving thing, the main characters tend to be adolescents. Yeah, sure. Um, kind of, I guess, kind of going off of that, do you find yourself falling into similar tropes, storylines, and characters? Or, I mean, I know you say you have these like the string of characters that you kind of like to reuse and repeat, but do you kind of see your books set in different universes, or do you basically like all these books are taking place in the same world, or do you not even like consider that? I don't really even consider that. Um, these kids right now in the book that I'm writing right now. They're juniors in high school. They're during the summer and they're about to start their junior year. Uh -huh. And I've taken them from age 12 now all the way up to age 17. Mm -hmm. And so as their lives change, their world changes. So I, and that's what I, I kind of deal with. I throw different what ifs mm -hmm. happening. And as we explore the what if, uh, that becomes the basis for the story and the writing. So I don't necessarily fall into um, a, a overused pattern mm -hmm. uh, because as as you and I change over time, so my characters will change over time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I know you're now working on book number 10. So I'm curious if you have any insight or any teasers you can give our listeners and myself. I'm, yes. I'm interested too. Oh, awesome. Um, I wrote a book called Caught in the Web. Okay. And in, in that particular book, at the very end, a secret was made. And the secret was to, the reason why they, they had to keep the secret, because if they found out the truth of what happened that night, mm -hmm. um, MS-13, which is a very nasty, brutal gang, um, they would come back into these kids' life and nobody would be safe. So the idea was we're going to keep this secret and it's going to be one of the um, people in that in that house that evening committed the, the, the kills, so to speak, the murders. Um, what happens when that secret becomes known? And that is the basis for my book that I'm writing now. It's called Black Ye which is Indian for, it, 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 a yi is a spiritual belief. Mm -hmm. And a black yi, they hardly even talk about it. The Navajos hardly talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because by even mentioning the name, they feel that this, this entity will take over and cause people to do harm. And what it means literally is the evil one. And so the title of the one I'm writing is Black Yi, and then in parentheses, uh, the evil one. And that it's kind of sort of a sequel to caught in a web. And it's, I really like how it's happening. Very interesting. I guess kind of going off, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you're writing nonfiction, obviously, but do you have to do any research before you start writing these books or is everything kind of coming from up here or how do you like go about that? Oh, I have to do research because in, in, in most, in, I think in every book that I've written, um, there is the Navajo spirituality. There is the uh, culture, um, their their way of life. Mm -hmm. And I had to have some help with that. Uh, Robert Johnson, Brent Hatt, um, 
they really have helped with um, even the words that they use, the, the, the terms that they use. I used a website called Cops and Writers on Facebook, and they've been phenomenal help to me. Um, what kind of guns to use, which would have a safety, which would not, um, what are easy to handle, which are harder to handle, just simple things like that. Um, so I get lots of research from those people. Um, I have two nephews who are a policeman. Uh, one of my great friends is uh, now a police chief in a small town, but in my books, he is a detective. And then oh, the other two detectives, yeah, I do use some real people's names. I just kind of change them a little bit. One of my former students is a forensic scientist, um, James Dalkey. And in my books, his name is Skip Dalkey. Okay. Um, and, and, and he's given me lots of help in terms of um, what crime scene looks like and what are their techniques and things like that. So it's been fun. Yeah, that sounds very fun. I like how you can incorporate your real life into these worlds that you've created. Um, I'm curious, what inspired the Navajo influence? I've always been kind of fascinated. Uh, when I first started teaching and coaching, yeah. um, my first job was in Wyoming, um, in the western part of our United States. And I became in love with Western lore. Uh, and with that, the, the Indian or the Native American but I really gravitated to the Navajo once my wife and I traveled through the Navajo Nation Reservation in northeastern Arizona, looking at how they grow and um, how they evolved as a nation. And I, the more I read, the more interested I became. And it just seemed normal to me to have, now I have two characters who are uh, full-blooded Navajo stepbrothers in the family. Yeah. And they are very close to their grandfather, who is deceased, but he makes an appearance in almost every book. Very interesting. Um, okay, cool. So I'm curious, what's one piece of advice you have for authors or what's one thing that you would have liked to know before you started writing? Well, there are lots of things <laughs> that I would like to have known. Um, I think uh, one of them is that you are not going to get rich. Um, rich quick, unless your name is Patterson, Baldashi, Conley, any of those guys. If if you look at the market, the publishing, uh, seven out of ten books are an audio book. I'm mm. sorry, it, it is is a is an electronic book, an ebook like a Kindle or a Nook. And the price of those range from ninety nine cents to six bucks or seven bucks. So, you know, if your royalty is fifty percent. 50% of 99 cents is 50 cents. And 50% of $7 is whatever, you know, 350. Yep. And so you're just not going to get wealthy unless you have a name and maybe somebody picks it up as a, as a movie or a TV show or something like that. That's one thing. The other thing that is difficult is once you write a book and it hits the market, you have to promote it and you have you have in any number of ways books go show social has been a wonderful um help me in promotion there are other people a lot of networking that i do but it's it's it's, it's difficult work um as much as i spend writing i spend as much in promotion and right. and it's it's just hard 
Mm-hmm. I feel like, especially today with all the new media, that's con- it's constant. So you always have to be evolving, especially in the promotion part. So I'm sure that's something that you made, didn't even consider when you're getting into it. Absolutely. I had yeah. no idea about promotion or anything. Yeah, no, makes sense. Um, so Joseph, what are you reading currently? I'm reading a book called Stable, and it's written by Cam Torrens, mm-hmm. who is an, um, that was his first book that he wrote. He is terrific, and the book is terrific. His background is military, and right now he and his wife are in search and rescue. Okay. And so they do a number of things. And his book, Stable, is very reminiscent of the storyline in my trilogy, the Lives trilogy, and Taking Lives. And so I, I see some parallels there. It's a fascinating book. He has another one that's coming out, or is, is out. And as soon as I'm done with Stable, I'll, I'll do the review because I feel I owe him that. And right. I, I'm going to be I'm going to be picking up book number two because it, he is a terrific writer. All right. So do you find yourself, are you always reading something while you're writing or do you sometimes have to separate your two, like what you're intaking versus what you're typing out? No, I, you know, Stephen King has a belief that um, if you don't read, you're not going to have the tools to write. And so I find myself doing as not as much reading as I'm writing, but I make sure that I'm reading something every day, whether it's nonfiction or fiction. Um, I just I just feel that it's important because I pick up ideas, not that I'm stealing things from them, so to speak, but the way they use words, the way they create sentences and paragraphs, their story ideas. You can always learn something. Even even the, the the most savvy of writers will always learn something from somebody else. And then kind of going off that, do you have an all-time favorite book that you just, whenever someone asks you, you have your one answer ready? I have two books that I would say that they're my absolute all-time favorite. Um, the first book is The Stand by Stephen King. Actually, I, I'm going to say three. Okay. Um, the first book is The Stand by Stephen King. I've read it twice all the way through. This last Christmas, my son-in-law gave me the unabridged version, which is truly about that thick. It is. It's all the stuff that the editor and Stephen King cut out. Okay. As well as what was in the original stand. So it, it gives a lot of background that some people don't know some of these characters. Parallel to that is, um, I just lost it. Ah. Um, oh, it, it, it's a story of the boys and they, they crash landed um, and they have to survive on this island. And the interesting thing, I think the parallel between the two is that it's this this fictional world where there are no rules, no structure. Uh, government is no longer and people have to survive. And I'm of the belief that good will always triumph over evil. And so that's why I like those two books, because they forced you to consider, well, maybe good might not triumph. Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies is the one I was referring to. So um, those two parallel very nicely. The other one that I really like is called Ghost Story by Peter Straub. And it is a ghost story. And he has some characters in that book that do not leave you. It got to the point where I could not read that book at night. It, it scared the bejesus out of me. Wow. Um, it, it, it's it's a wonderful book. It's older. I don't even know if it's still in print, but it, 
listen, it took me about a hundred pages to get into it. And once you did, I was so happy I stayed with it because once you get there, you cannot put it down. It, it, it's a tremendous book. Very cool. And then kind of just a fun last question. If you could see any of your novels get turned into either a TV show or movie, which one would it be and why? Or would you not want this? Would you not want an adaptation? I would love an adaptation. I really would. Because I I, I, I tend to be a very visual writer. Um, when I'm writing, I see the action. I see the character. I hear the voices speaking. And I would say Betrayed, Blaze In, Blaze Out, uh, Fan Mail, Caught in a Web, Spiral into Darkness is a fun one because it, it deals with a, a serial killer. And in that book, I actually let you know who the killer is at about page 200. Oh, but wow. you don't know you don't know why until the very end. I keep that from you. So there's always something to look forward to in my books towards the end. That it's kind of a ha moment or a wow moment. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, I just want to thank you again, Joseph, for being here on Book Talk. I've learned so much and I'm this was fascinating for me from a reader. And I'm already looking forward to the drop of your new book. Um, and to our listeners, you can find more about Joseph on his website, jrlewisauthor.com. Joseph, anything else that you want to add? No, again, I just want to thank you. I love talking about writing. Uh, this weekend on Saturday, I was teaching teens things to write, um, working setting and atmosphere into their books. Um, I love talking about it. I love writing. And it's it's just fun to me now. Awesome. Well, you, you, I can tell your passion about it and your excitement shines through. So I'm eager to, I'm, I think I'm going to place a Christmas order for relatives for books. <laughs>